Hello, and welcome to the Women Crush Wednesdays podcast from New York Women in Film and Television, where we discuss current news, feature interviews from women working in the industry, highlight the accomplishment of our fabulous members, and preview upcoming NYWIFT events. I'm Leah Kearney, and I'm here with my co-host, Janine McGoldrick. Hi, hey, Leah. Hi, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us again. It's Women's History Month this month, so let's start off by honoring one of NYWIFT's amazing members with our Women Crush Wednesday's Spotlight. Tammy Reese tells us why Antonia Badan is crushing it this week. Hello everyone, we're so excited to bring to you our next WCW Spotlight Night with member who is crushing it. Antonia Badon is an NAACP award-winning actress, a syndicate cable TV radio producer, an original TV, radio, and podcast content creator and personality, and film and audio post editor. Her performance of the widely acclaimed one-woman play Zora about the legendary Zora Neale Hurston is a play by Lawrence Holder, which obtained Antonia features in the Daily News, the Amsterdam News, Harlem News, and the Philadelphia Tribune. Antonia has been maintaining a strong presence performing Zora, producing and creating weekly content for TV, radio, and podcast mediums. Antonia combined her love for culture and history to create content that makes history easy, digestible, fun, and entertaining. In keeping history at the forefront, Antonia's I Culture Up e-commerce line celebrates history, culture, and preservation with walking history wearables, collectibles, and gifts. Antonia is a graduate of Dillard University with a dual degree in mass communications and speech and drama. Antonia's weekly show, Renaissance Traveler can be streamed on www.mmn.org and her radio show, The Harlem Renaissance, can be streamed at www.whcr.org. Antonia will continue to showcase Zora on the college circuit. Antonia, your NYWIF community congratulates you for all of your success thus far. Congrats, Antonia. Talk about crushing it. I, I am inspired hearing about all the important work you're doing and wish you all the best and much success. Um, wanted to turn now to an opportunity for the screenwriters who might be listening in our community. Wanted to let you know that the Writers Lab 2021 program is now open for submissions. And for the first time this year, it's expanding to welcome television writers as well as feature writers. That's fabulous. I didn't yeah. even realize that it didn't include them originally. Yeah, I think it was just uh, just features, but you know, obviously we live in a world where television, we're kind of in a golden age of television where there's there's just, and fantastic writers crossing back and forth between mm -hmm. both. So if you're, if you're not familiar with it, the Writers Lab is a four-day workshop that gives writers over the age of 40 who identify as women the opportunity to work intensively on their winning scripts with the support of established women professionals. So it's a fantastic program. The early deadline to submit is March 1st and the late deadline is March 30th. Include the link in the show notes. You can find out more and submit at thewriterslab.nyc. So Janine, the DGA, uh, Directors Guild of America, released a new report last month that has some hopeful statistics. Yes, very excited. <laughs> Speaking of TV writers, last year's uh, TV season saw a rise in the number of women 
and people of color directing television shows. That's wonderful. I think the percentage was that more than 4,300 episodes of television made by directors of color in 2019 and 2020 season rose 32% from 27% the year prior and up from 18% five seasons ago. That really is a, a big jump. Yeah, and then episodes directed by women grew to 34%, which was up from 31% the prior season. So we're moving in the right direction, at least. Somewhat, because Somewhat. they did say there was, there was one caveat that, unfortunately, Latino filmmakers and women of color remain severely underrepresented. Yeah, the study points out that largely those women who were directing were white women. And of the people of color who were directing, uh, it was still primarily men as opposed to women's. I, I think also, um, in addition to Latinx filmmakers, uh, Asian American filmmakers were also vastly underrepresented. So there is, as always, a lot of work to do. There's always work to be done. We are at the start of award season. We just had the Golden Globes, which had a number of women directors nominated. And hopefully with the Oscars coming up and all of the other Independent Spirit Awards, SAG Awards, the SAG Awards, we'll be seeing a lot more. And there is so much content out there from women this year. There's no excuse for, and good content. It's not just it has to be nominated because it's a woman. It's great content being produced, directed, written, and acted by women. I think in the years past, they used to say, oh, well, you know, there's no women being nominated because there's no women actually making films or writing right. films. No, well, no, there's no women being greenlit. Is the yes, <laughs> exactly. And now they are. And now they're behind the camera. So it's about time that they're getting recognized. So speaking of women representation in the industry, Leah, you have a great interview with a female composer and lyricist, Elsbeth Collard. And so we're going to bring that to you and we'll be right back. Elspeth Collard is a British-born composer, lyricist, orchestrator, and arranger. She graduated from the Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program at NYU Tisch, and her songs and orchestration have been featured at cabaret venues, including Feinstein's 54 Below, Dixon Place, The Duplex, and Don't Tell Mama, as well as on various online streaming platforms, including the YouTube web series, Is This Art Now?, and she is also the composer of the new musical intro for this podcast. So, Elspeth, welcome to the Women Crush Wednesdays podcast. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. We really um, have been enjoying the kicking off 2021 with, with our new musical stylings. So we really appreciated <laughs> you lending your talents to that and are excited to get to talk to you a little bit more. Wondered if you could start by just giving us a little bit of your, of your backstory, like what sparked your passion for music and led you to becoming a composer. Totally. So I grew up in a very musical family. I was very lucky. Uh, my parents are both kind of uh, performers, musicians, singers. So I was kind of just surrounded by that my whole life. Mm. Very lucky. My parents always like, you know, I would say like, I want to learn this instrument. And they'd kind of like support that and, you know, help me with lessons. So I was kind of just lucky to come from that background. I started learning the piano when I was, I think, five. Slip later, so I'm not 
that great at the piano anymore. But <laughs> and then the flute when I was eight and the drums when I was 14. And around that same time, I started writing songs just like kind of for fun to start with. And then it was kind of like once I started doing that, it was like, oh, yeah, no, this is what I want to do. That was when I was 13. And I've basically been doing that ever since. When I was about, I think, 16, I decided I wanted to focus that on sort of the world of musical theatre. And yeah, I just kind of kept doing that, uh, kept writing songs. I wrote my first full-length musical in undergrad with my amazing collaborator, Rebecca Rivas, who I'm still in touch with, luckily. And then I was lucky enough to get to come here for grad school and write musicals all the time. So, yeah. And when you say come here, I should say you're, you're from England originally. I was born in London, and then I grew up in Kent, which is kind of around an hour outside of London. But I'm kind of more based. My parents live in Edinburgh now. So they've kind of been based more out of there for the last couple of years. Nice. Well, for our listeners, I had the pleasure of working with Elspeth over last summer on a short film that ourselves and a number of other collaborators worked on entirely while we were all in quarantine. You know, I guess I, it was a wonderful experience working with you. I'd be curious to dig in a little bit for, to the process of scoring a film. And I guess we can talk about what it's like doing that totally in quarantine, maybe afterwards as well. But, and I know this, you have an extensive background in musical theater, but this was a newer transition into um, scoring a short film. So I'm just curious what, uh, what that process was like for you. Yeah, it was, I think, I'm trying to remember how it started now. I remember, I think, Jenna sent over our other collaborator, Jenna, um, who's a delight and we love her. Sent over kind of, she was I think, a rough cut of the film. She's, yeah, 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 she's fantastic. I think she sent over sort of a rough cut because it had already been sort of filmed by that point. And I think I just kind of watched it through. It was such a sweet story that I think it just kind of inspired music kind of immediately on like first watch. For me, once I kind of came to sitting down and writing it, I think I pretty much put the film into, into logic. I'm a big, big fan of logic, especially you know, really got to grips with it during quarantine time. And, and, and just forgive just, my ignorance, Lo- oh, yeah. Logic <laughs> is a, a software program, right? That's right, yeah. Logic is, sorry, no, you're right. I should totally explain that. Logic is recording and mixing kind of software. So you can kind of input with a piano or you can like input other files. I use it for everything. And so I pretty much put the film in there and kind of started finding kind of a sound world. I I kind of thought like a lot of um, kind of pitch percussion and kind of glockenspiel like chime kind of sounds felt felt right because it kind of matched that like delicate kind of sweet quality of the film. And it was basically just a case of playing around with that. A lot of the time I'll sort of score something fully and kind of notate obsessively. But I found that for film, it tends to work better to kind of be a bit more free about it and almost kind of use some improvisational kind of stuff. So just sort mm. of play, play some things into it and see what works and then kind of, you know, go back and edit it and fix it and tidy it up. So it was a lot of, a lot of that. We'll be sure and link to the film in the um, in the show notes. Just as a, a shout out, and Elsa, I don't know if you if you knew this, but the film was an official selection for the NYWIFT Online Shorts Festival Fantastic. in January. Very proud of it. But I'm curious, you know, for like we just worked on this project, but a lot of our listeners are uh, maybe composers themselves, or maybe uh, directors, producers or work mm-hmm. in other aspects of the film industry. And I'd just be curious to know from a composer's perspective. Are there things that are especially helpful in terms of terminology or words or descriptions that help you start creating? And, con- and conversely, are there, are there things that are unhelpful um, in terms of that collaboration between a, a director, producer, or creative team and you as you begin composing? 
the thing that comes to mind for me that I find sort of with all kind of fields, so like definitely in film and also in a sort of theatre world, a lot of the time my collaborators, you know, maybe are musicians uh, and not sort of composers or like some kind of, you know, don't read music and don't really know musical terminology at all. I think I've had a lot of directions where someone said, oh, I feel like I want it to be more like this, but I don't have a technical term for it. I'm so sorry. Mm. And for me personally, I don't know that technical terms are that helpful. Uh, <laughs> for me, I like hearing that this feels like it should be lighter, or this feels like it should be freer, and descriptive words can be just as helpful, uh, if not more helpful than sort of musical terminology. Not be afraid of saying, saying the less technical thing. I think writing for film and theatre is kind of all about the music's there, the emotion, the way the character's feeling, and kind of, you know, those very subjective thoughts. So I think, mm. in a way, subjective words can be more helpful than using a lot of technical terminology. So, yeah, I think to just sort of not be afraid and just say, say what you feel it should be, totally, totally valid and helpful. Very cool. That's, I think that's really um, great advice. Anything yeah. that's, that you've run into in the past that um, is more challenging in the collaboration process or as mm. you're in the creative process, I guess. I mean, I think mm. we've all had, had those experiences where we've been given a note of some kind mm. and are kind of grasping at how to execute it. So the, the first year of the, the graduate musical theater writing program, you're kind of paired with uh, everyone that you can collaborate with. And you also do kind of big group feedback sessions. So between those two things, there's definitely, that's definitely been, you know, unhelpful feedback. I think the least helpful thing is probably when people have a tendency to listen to something and decide that it should be something else and then try and critique that instead of kind of critiquing what you've actually written and what you're trying to do. So that's mm. probably, yeah, probably the least helpful feedback comes from a place where people just want you to do something different that's like what they would do. And I think trying to come at it more of a, more from a place of, I see what you're going for here, and I think you could do that better if you were doing this, tends to be kind of more helpful. And I think especially with sort of collaborators, it's communication is everything. Someone that you're working with, if they give a note that's confusing and you're like, I'm not quite sure how to do that. Just asking questions, lots of back and forth, not being afraid to write something wrong. Sometimes in a collaboration, you can feel like you have to knock it out of the park the first time. Putting a draft together and being, this exists, and now I can change it is a lot more helpful because then you can work from something tangible and yeah. know that there's a, a million other options and you can always go back and change things and try a different option there. Happy to kind of try different things and, and kind of experiment and have fun. Well, I have to say it was it was so one of the things besides your your musical talent that was so lovely working with you was your openness and to and re receptivity to here's a first go let's play with it let's try on different things let's see what where we go from here and I love that notion of not being afraid to to just make something and put it out there because once you have something on paper once you have something you can, it's so much easier to mold and shape rather than just that blank page. Um, Absolutely. I think it was good we, yeah, I, ha I had a great time collaborating with you as well. I loved all of the back and forth that we did. Yeah. I love that, and that, that's how I love to work, really, is just kind of sending drafts back and forth and thing and fixing, and so it was a, a delight for me as well. Well, speaking of collaboration, I was curious about how wow. you work with your writing partner, because you're part of a musical theater writing team, Collard and Rosenblatt, with Sam Rosenblatt, you guys have written over 60 songs, a full 90-minute musical, and two short-form musicals together. To start, do you start with the music or with the lyrics? Do you start separately? I know we're all in quarantine, or, you know, we're 
socially distanced at the moment, but did, did you used to work in a room together or do your work separately? So with, with Sam and I, it's been like a real mix. We're very lucky because we think very similarly about a lot of things. And I think it's happened a lot of times. So we, we met through grad school. We are kind of paired up fairly early on. And I think we were already like pretty good friends by that point. So it was great to get to work together. And I remember that uh, the assignments were sort of two weeks each. And during that two weeks, we wrote the song that we had to write for school. And then as a, a distraction, we just wrote like another completely ridiculous song for fun. Uh, <laughs> And I think that was when we were, oh, this really works. And I think one of the things that's great is we both work really quickly. Sometimes we kind of work in a room together. Sometimes we'll kind of be like sitting, playing things back and forth. But we actually do a lot of work separately as well. We usually go lyrics first. Both of us, that just makes sense. There have been a couple of times when we sort of played around, play a piece of music, and Sam will be kind of inspired to write a lyric. But for the most part, it's lyrics first. And it's a similar process of that kind of back and forth. We actually, uh, for the first bit of quarantine, were, were quarantined together. Family home in Westchester, which is very nice. My family were very kind to look after me. Yeah, we had the advantage of being able to, you know, really work in the room together. But even then, we would sometimes, like, go to separate rooms to kind of work something out and then like, come back together and play things and adjust things. Again, communication is a key thing, and we just communicate so well. That really helps, and that really shows in our work. And there have been some very, like, almost kind of creepy moments of I think Sam has said that she sometimes has a bit of a melody in her head when she writes a lyric, but obviously is not attached to it and knows a writing partner is going to do something else with it. But there was one time when I actually wrote down the melody that was in her head for this lyric. Uh, <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, but that that sort of um, like mind meld happens, right? In any right? kind of creative <laughs> collaboration where you start just intuitively knowing what where the, at least in those kind of, like you guys have been working together for a long time. So yeah, um, those kind of close relationships, that's awesome. I know mm-hmm. that on your website, you mentioned that you prioritize writing stories that put women at the helm of the ship mm-hmm. and stories that illuminate queer experiences and help to end the stigma that surrounds mental health. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, how, how those themes infuse your work and impact what projects you choose to take on. Yeah, I think everything we do has a real female-centered approach. And I think part of that is just being an all-female writing team in an industry that is like pretty dominated by men. In my class at NYU, there were 17 composers, and I was one of four female composers. So really? That, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I'm surprised. I mean, I don't know why I should be surprised, <laughs> but that it's still so, yeah, that there's still so few women. Wow. It really is. It's uh, it's it's a real thing, and I think it is. It is surprising, sort of, because I think no one thinks of like musical theater as being male dominated. But mm. yeah, no, I think on the writing side, it 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 really is, which is wild. Still in 2021, a lot of what we write is a reaction against that. Anywhere on a scale from wanting to write about our own experiences. I think one one song that we wrote was uh, we were both having like a really bad week uh, <laughs> in terms of having to like, fight misogynistic comments and that kind of thing. And we just wrote this like very defiant feminist rock anthem. A lot, sometimes it's kind of taking taking those experiences and turning them into something positive, I guess. So a princess story, which is a kind of our, our big sort of 90 minute project, the, a TYA show. I think it was kind of born out of we both love Disney movies, movies made that <laughs> allegedly intended for children. And Sam has a background in educational theater, and I'm also a music educator. So I think we wanted to write something aimed at younger audiences, mm. but also like... And TYA, uh, TYA is theater oh, yeah. for younger audiences? Theater for young audiences, yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> so we wanted to write something for young audiences, 
And I think we wanted to write something that illuminates our experience as two queer women. That was something we never really saw growing up. The Mm -hmm. earlier you kind of normalize that, the better. I think we're on our second or third draft of that show. We had a reading, a a Zoom reading a few weeks ago, um, which was wonderful. And yeah, it's just, I think we wrote the show that we would have loved to see at that age. Well, that that actually inspires a follow-up question, which is, how do you feel we can change some of these systemic issues we talk about it with a lot of the people who come on this podcast mm-hmm. is is like if, if you that idea of if you can see it you can be it you know creating yeah. um you know images for for young women or women coming up in the industry mm-hmm. that that show them that women can take on these roles and take on any role and um mm-hmm. you know in the in the effort to have more gender parity yeah i'm just curious in from a composer or a, a musician perspective how can we change that in that aspect of the industry now that's such a not asking you such a big question (laughs) not asking you to solve uh, and uh, sexism in one go but just curious what your thoughts are i feel like visibility is a huge thing and sam and i are both part of an organization called maestra that's uh, a musical Mm -hmm. theater women in musical theater organization which is incredible and they're doing so much in the way of visibility and resources and kind of they run online workshops sort of technical workshops just kind of letting women know that this is a thing that they can do I think a lot of the time we just kind of don't think of these things they also play the drums and that's the mm. thing that like didn't occur to me that I could do for a very long time I think that's why the one that's the one I started the latest so few female drummers that that's just not a thing that I assumed I could do and then I realized there was no reason why I couldn't so mm. <laughs> the more we see for example female drummers the more we're going be like oh yeah that's the thing women can do same with female composers I think the same with sort of women in hopefully every position so yeah I think visibility and then also kind of providing women with those opportunities it's easy to kind of just if you're not offered that then you might not know that that is an option for you that's fantastic well what's up next for you I know you've been keeping very busy in well, a lot of the industry, particularly theater, I mean, a lot of film and TV is back in production, but mostly theater is still closed down. Broadway is uh, closed down until summer. Is that right? Yeah, I think at least summer. Yeah. What have you been up to? So a couple of things. Uh, <laughs> um, so Sam and I are right now in the process of putting together an album, our first album, which we just announced last week. That's so going to be. Thank you. <laughs> so it's, it's called Little Love Notes. Uh, themed around kind of different types of love so there's romantic love in there but then there's also sort of friendship love and self-love and yeah all kinds of different things and that will be streaming on March 14th on Spotify and Apple Music and a lot of others that I don't understand we're also working on another full-length musical with another collaborator Amber which is another queer feminist musical that's cool that's very much in development right now and then in the film world, I'm going to be working on a couple more shorts with, with Jenna, with a collaborator from before. So I'm very excited about those. We have our, our new musical theatre podcast that we curate, uh, the latest draft, which is really cool to get to sort of uplift other voices and kind of hear, hear what other people are doing in the, the new musical theatre world. A couple of things to keep me busy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and it, it seems like while there are some aspects of the entertainment industry where the, there, it may be more limited right now given our mm-hmm. need for social distancing, and, and mm-hmm. but it sounds like, you know, there's nothing keeping you from your Logic software and your instruments. Yeah. So <laughs> I can't you. wait to hear the album, so uh, I look oh, forward to you. that next. That's all the time we have 
uh, for today, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Just want to let people know where they can find out more about you and your work. We'll be sure to include the links to your website, elspethcollard.com, and your uh, website with Sam, collardandrosenblatt.com, uh, in the show notes. But is there, are there places where people should follow you on social media? So I have, uh, my Instagram is just at Elsa Collard, uh, just my name. I'm on Twitter. I very rarely use it, but I'm there, at Elsa L. Collard. Sam and I have a joint Instagram as well for, our, for all our collaborations, which is collard.rosenblatt.collabs. I think that's all, all the socials that we have. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much again. A pleasure personally getting to work with you and pleasure getting to talk to you today on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was really great to, yeah, exactly the same, get to work with you and get to talk to you. Thanks so much, Leah, for such a great interview. It was really enjoyed. And I love listening to her voice and her accent. <laughs> I know. It's great, isn't it? It was really my pleasure, um, both getting to work with her and getting to speak with her. Um, she's She's terrifically talented. And I loved, uh, you know, I hadn't realized, I'm a little embarrassed to say uh, until I spoke to Elspeth, just how underrepresented female composers are. Um, Talk about more work that has to be done. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's interesting. I, I had to think about it and I can't, I could probably could name the number of female composers that I know, but on one hand. That's uh, true. I yeah. really can't either, which is so. depressing. Yeah, well, it just made me realize that talk about gender parity in the entertainment industry or in any industry, really, we need to be looking at all aspects and roles. We need to be looking not just above the line, but across the board. Um, I love that women in director, producer roles are getting and screen, you know, writing roles are getting more visibility, getting more attention, mm -hmm. but it's important not to forget about all of the other aspects uh, where, where we're underrepresented and, and, and need to be still supporting our colleagues to make progress. And right. As more women continue to work in those positions of power, you know, crewing up, they'll look for other women and other women of color to fill those slots. Absolutely. You know, just one quick shout out, speaking of crewing up, I just wanted to mention uh, our listeners maybe may have heard of this uh, Ava DuVernay launched in February Array Crew, which is a database of below-the-line talent in a bid to facilitate um, the increased hiring of diverse crew. It's a, a basically like an IMDB of sorts for diverse below-the-line talent. So that basically, we can't use that excuse anymore of, mm -hmm. um, well, there just isn't, there just aren't, you know, women or people of color. Or they're hard to find. Or they're hard to find. It's like, well, no, now she's literally made it so easy for you to find them. Well, so since it is Women's History Month, we have a special recommendation. Yes. We wanted to let you know about Five, which is a collection of documentary short films from women directors featuring stories of the perseverance and passion of women entrepreneurs. The five films, Harfa, Justice of the Pies, Organic Foods, Sarah's Bag, and Talento Inclure, I might be pronouncing that incorrectly, but you can find it on the website. They follow the journey of five inspirational women from different countries, Brazil, Croatia, India, Lebanon, and the United States, who have each set out to start a purpose-driven business to improve and uplift their communities. 
Yeah, and as part of a recent distribution deal between MasterCard and Shorts TV, which the only 24-7 linear and OTT channel dedicated to short-form video entertainment, the world premiere of the five films is going to be on March 6th on the Shorts TV channels, which is just in time for International Women's Day. We look forward to it and we hope you can check it out. That's it for today. We shall return in two weeks with another episode featuring our monthly segment, which we are now calling Have Story, Will Tell. You can also share your first-time experiences about any aspect of working in the entertainment industry as part of our My First Time segment. We want to hear your stories. Send them in. You can email us at communications at nywift.org with either a five-minute audio file or a two-page written submission that we'll have narrated. And of course, names and project titles can be kept anonymous. As always in our show notes, you can find information and links for all of the guests and the news and the topics that we discussed. So Leah, until we meet again, and to everyone (laughs) out there, keep on crushing it.